Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 124. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome to the Thread Podcast. This is a podcast for leaders, Christian leaders. We look into the Word of God in a verse-by-verse way, drawing out those lessons that will help us to expand our influence on others and make us better caregivers for people in the body of Christ. So that whether we are leading in our family, uh, at school, at the workplace, or in an organization that God has us in charge of, Thread is our chance to just slow down our week and get a good diet from God's Word so that we think properly about leadership and we can learn to improve our skills as leaders. Today's thread is really important. It's about being a, um, a gatekeeper because of the existence of false leaders in the body, people that are sown in, as Jesus talked about, the, the weeds that get sown among the rice and among the wheat. Uh, false teachers are a figure of the, um, in the last days, Jesus warns against them, And in today's text, Paul really takes to heart and goes slowly and helps us understand the nature and the character of a false teacher, how to spot them, and what our responsibility is as other leaders in the body of Christ, not to just allow them to do the things they do, but to resist. And so I think we've got a lot of good uh, food for thought. It's for mature people today on thread. So let's dig right in. You know, after the wonderful feelings that we have, From verse 28, celebrating the delight of being good shepherds, Paul turns suddenly in verse 29 with this heart-wrenching prophecy. He says, After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing God's flock. You know, Paul was an excellent gatekeeper, and that's an important job of yours if you're a spiritual caregiver in charge of a group of God's people. you got to be a gatekeeper. You decide who comes in, who does not come in. Paul was a great protector of the flock. Let me give you an example. When Peter and Barnabas were influenced by the conservative Jewish delegation that came to inspect the church at Antioch, Peter and Barnabas withdrew from eating food with the Gentiles, which they had always done, because this would defile them ceremonially as Jews. And they sat at a Jews-only table that was set up by this Jerusalem delegation to keep them ceremonially pure. And Paul created a very awkward scene by rebuking them in public for their hypocrisy and for not embracing the fullness of the gospel. Now, keep in mind, he was a close friend of Peter, and Barnabas was his mentor. But Paul put all that at risk to rebuke them openly because he watched and he saw how their actions were wounding the baby Christians that they had formerly been so close to and ate their meals with. I mean, Paul was a fierce protector. And he knows his enemy, the devil. And he knows that his absence as a shepherd over these churches in this city is going to create an opportunity for spiritual attack. And that the most likely place to attack the sheep is for the devil to get inside their leadership circle and plant some evil leaders. Let's talk about this for just a minute because Paul really focuses 
his discussion on it at this point. Let's look at some characteristics that Paul gives us of a false leader. He calls them savage wolves. I mean, wolves kill sheep. They use sheep. They feed off of sheep. They do not love the sheep. They don't care for the sheep. So let's look at four characteristics of a false leader, a savage wolf, as Paul called them. Verse 29 tells us, for a wolf, it's all about them. It's not about the flock. They're going to be very self-focused, and this is going to get, this is going to grow. Let's look at verse 30 now. Verse 30 says the second characteristic. They are intent on drawing people to themselves, not to Christ, not toward each other. These guys love fans, and they will work to divide God's people because, you know, when the sheep all stay together, they're more difficult to attack. So a wolf wants to separate them, wants to break the flock down into little, little bunches. False leaders have a central concern about membership. Are you in our group or not? Are you my sheep or not? Are you loyal to me or not? It's us against them. Now, these are warning signals. And if you hear your, your supervisor talking about your minister, talking about things like this, focusing exclusively on this subject, you do well to move away from them. A wise sheep will not be destroyed by the wolf. I mean, heads up, these are the last days. We need to, Jesus prophesied about this so often. These are last days, false prophets will be everywhere, and we need to be very, very careful about the kind of leaders that we follow, and we need to be the kind of leaders that are safe for other people to be around. So if you see any of these characteristics growing in you, rip it out, you know. Uh, So we're on the second characteristic. They're intent on drawing people to themselves. It's all about themselves. Those leaders who behave like rock stars want you to be their little groupie, and you're made for better things than this. It's not about them. It's about Jesus. Third characteristic of a false leader, verse 30 again. Paul says that their doctrine, their teaching of God's word is perverted. This is really essential for us to understand. He doesn't mean that they make up things just out of the blue or that they just come up with crazy stuff to talk about. Perverted. It means they take truth, real truth, God's truth, and then they twist it so it is no longer aligned with God's character. And this doctrine is generally whatever would be popular to teach about. And these topics are going to be popular because they appeal to our sinful, fleshly desires that are still buried deep in our heart. Now, in my lifetime, the two teachings that have been the most abused are the beautiful teaching about healing and the wonderful teaching about material prosperity. These are both words from God, true word from God, and yet twisted, perverted into a whole nother kind of of doctrine. Let's talk about healing, for example. The Bible says a lot about physical healing, but healing us by a miracle every time we get sick is not the center of God's plan for our bodies. 
In fact, as I've often said, even on this podcast, you really have to ask yourself, what is the meaning of healing to a terminal generation? That is, no matter what I'm healed from, it does not solve my physical problem. My body has been affected by the fall of man. And from the age of 18, the death clock begins to run, and my body weakens itself systematically until I die because death is still at work in me. The resurrection of the body completely solves my problems. But we don't preach the resurrection because that's not as popular as preaching temporary healing. And because we hyper-focus on this teaching, we don't know how to deal with death. I live in a Buddhist country, and this week, a Buddhist friend of ours, a sweet mother, only 27 years old, she suddenly died, and we were shocked. I was there when they brought her body into the, the home of the family, and we joined the family, and we stayed you know, around them for their five days of keeping vigil over her body, and then we went with them for their Chinese traditional ceremonies. It's such a different perspective about what happens after death. This gave us opportunity for some really precious conversations with different members of this family. And we love this family so much. One member of the family said she really wanted to get serious about being devout so she could stop the cycle of being reborn. And another one said he did not want to stop his cycle because he enjoys his life, even if he has troubles. And then someone said... The Christian way is good because they are happy to die. And I've been thinking about this all week. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's true that all Christians have positive thinking about death. But I'm really glad that my friend perceives it that way because it is the Christian way. And apparently, this friend has met some true Christians who would stand by Paul and celebrate that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that great reward is waiting just beyond the door of death for those who are faithful to Jesus. I mean, today, Western Christianity is so afraid of death. Our dead disappear from the hospital, and they magically appear dressed up looking nice at a funeral home. We even cover the dirt around the graveside with astroturf, and we wait till everyone else leaves to lower the body into the ground. You know, it wasn't like this before. In the first half of the 1900s, almost everyone died at home. Your doctor told you you were dying so you could go home and set your affairs in order. You can apologize to everyone you had wronged. You can make sure that you had drawn up your will. And then your family and friends would come to visit you. And the church people would surround your bedside singing to you in your final days about heaven's fair land and seeing the face of the Lord and your family that had gone on before. But nowadays, I mean, we often lie to the dying about their condition. We go to extreme measures to avoid death for just a little while longer. We need a balanced doctrine. We need balanced doctrine to truly live with victory because we are what we think. Every doctrine is crucial. But only one doctrine is central. And when you look at the Bible, the central doctrine is the kingdom of God. God is building his kingdom and God is saving the earth 
and everyone on it. That's the central doctrine. And that's the true solution for the problems that we all face. The problem is not that today's strong health and wealth teachings are not biblical. It's that they're not the center of the Bible doctrine. And when you push them into the center, you push something else out and you change the focus of the scriptures, what Paul called in this passage, the whole counsel of God. That means the whole Bible from end to end taken together, not just one verse pulled out and some fancy talk being given on it, five ways to this or three secrets of that. The whole of God's Word, seeing things the way God sees them. The bottom line is, from Paul's day to ours, this extreme prosperity teaching, extreme healing teaching, it's generally just sold to us because it's self-centered. It keeps us focused on ourselves, focused on the material world, focused on this present life, and that is not a Christian way to live. The fourth characteristic of a false leader, according to verse 33, is that they are ultimately looking for an angle that will get them to the money. They want money. Money, perks, benefits, stuff. They want people to literally give them the clothes off their back. False teachers build their whole ministry around pet, self-centered themes because they know we like to hear about these things. We will pay to hear about these things. We will buy their books, buy their teaching series. We will invite them to speak. We will support their ministry because we believe there's something in it for us. And even the appeal for giving that they use is not that we should give to God's work out of gratitude or because it's our responsibility or so that those without the gospel may hear and be saved. No, they teach us to give to God so he will give back to us. In every way, a false teacher twists the word of God and even uses the promises of God in an effort to make us more selfish and more weak. It's not a small problem. These teachers are wolves. Paul doesn't say they're misguided brothers. He calls them wolves. He says they prey on the sheep and he calls upon the community of spiritual leaders in the city of Ephesus to bind themselves together and hold themselves accountable to a high personal standard, to resist such people, to block them when they attempt to rise in prominence among the house churches. They're to call these teachers out and not just sit there silently and allow the wolves to attack and scatter the, the sheep. Now look at verse 32. Verse 32 is a really important correction. Paul says, on the one hand, keep an eye out for these bad guys, but don't spend all your time focused on ferreting out evil. Some people make this their lives, one ministry, exposing false teachers. Paul says, yes, expose them, but don't let that be your focus. Give yourself completely to God's word. Grow, preach, teach. Paul says God's word is able to build you up. He's telling them that their focus needs to be on their own spiritual development and their own growth. I need to be strong. I need to become a strong, big, powerful, fruit-filled tree if I'm going to be a spiritual leader. And it's amazing when you find people like this. I call them mighty tree people. And they stand out to me in three ways. Number one, they're spiritual landmarks. Psalms 1 says, The one who fears the Lord and walks with him every day, he will be like a tree 
It's kind of like giving directions and somebody will say, you know where there's that really huge tree by the side of the road? Spiritually powerful people who focus all their energy on building others up, they become a landmark in their social circle and in their city. They become the reference point, the example of what it means to walk the path with God. Another thing these mighty tree people are to me is they're a source of spiritual and material provision for others. Instead of it being that the ministry is about what they can get out of it, in verse 34, Paul describes himself the other way around. He says, people who are in the ministry of building each other's up, each other up, they're willing to share their things. And so God gives them extra stuff, and we become a source, not just a spiritual source, but even a material source of provision for other people. And it's a blessing to allow God to make you a source, and He gives you all the extra stuff so you can share it with those in need. The third thing I'd say about mighty tree people is that they're a shade and a support for other people when those people are weak. You know, the word elder in the Bible doesn't mean you're old. Most of the apostles were in their early 30s. It's just a comparative adjective. It means you're older than somebody else. Not the oldest, just older. You're a little farther along than they are, and that means that a 16-year-old can be an elder in the life of a 12-year-old. All of us can minister to people who are a little bit behind us and become these things to them, a spiritual landmark, a source of provision, and a place of shade and support when they're weak. It's a wonderful life. It's, it brings blessing to you. So if you want to be healed, if you want to be blessed, don't ask God to give it to you directly. Heal me, bless me. Just bless others. Heal others, and God will bless and heal you. Verse 35, Paul gives us a new saying of Jesus, one that's not recorded in the gospel. And don't be alarmed. John says there are many things that were not recorded in the gospel. Paul brings a new one in now. This is a quote. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's balanced doctrine. It is blessed to be selfless. You are blessed when the pattern of your life is to give constantly, freely, and unforced. And so Paul sets before these elders a life vision, a goal. Not a numeric goal like plant 100 churches this year, guys. The goal he sets up is to become a special kind of person and to live out a selfless kind of life based on ministering to others and building them up. And he knows that if the people in front of him will do this, they will make many disciples and that their disciples will also follow this manner of selfless living and then the church will truly be the light in the city of Ephesus. It's a beautiful thought and it's worthy of our emulation. Verse 36, Paul kneels down and prays with them. They all weep, hugging and kissing him with great sorrow because they know they'll never see him again. And then they walk with him to the ship and see him off. Wow. What a model for living and how close to the pattern of life that Jesus set for all of us to follow. I'm just so inspired by this passage and by what God's Word has revealed to us today. Well, that's all for this time of the Thread Podcast. If you'd like to write me personally, just write chuck at chloe.com. I would love to hear from you. And please, would you go to the iTunes store? And I mean, uh, yeah, go to the iTunes network. Just look up Thread with Chuck Quinley and give us a rating and a comment. That will help so much. I really appreciate that. 
Expect God to use you today. See you next time on Thread.